You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. How you guys doing? Good? You guys feeling chipper today? Oh boy, so I got to keep you awake? Is that my job this morning? <laughs> uh, if you're new or you haven't been around a long time, you forgot who I was. That's cool too. Um, my name's Donnie. I work in student ministry around here and uh, I get to do this sometimes. And uh, so I encourage you to take a Bible out. You're going to need one of those. It'll help you stay awake a little bit, like fumbling through pages or looking through your device. Uh, but we're in Hebrews 8 and 9 today. Uh, so I want to encourage you to turn there. If you're not aware, somehow you made it all the way till now and you don't realize we have an app, we do have an app. I encourage you to download the Riverside Community Church app, and uh, you can follow along with the message in the app and uh, also get a lot of other good information, but uh, definitely encourage you to be looking at your Bible, and I'm one of those people that um, I'm always like encouraging you to actually turn in your Bibles. We, we put it on the screen for expediency to make it easy uh, on Sunday morning, but I think it's really good for you to kind of flip through your Bibles and get used to knowing where stuff is, especially when we're going through a book like this. It makes it easy, so if you've not been around, I encourage you to, uh, to go and listen to some of the podcasts because we've been just walking through in this home stretch series, we've been walking through the book of Hebrews and and mining out some of the good stuff that's in there. And uh, encourage you too to be reading. If you're not really reading your Bible regularly, maybe start in Hebrews, and that way you'll be kind of with us. Um, uh, but if you're not reading your Bible regularly and you're kind of new and you're wondering where to start, I always recommend the book of John. Uh, that'll give you a good uh, start to reading the the. Word of God. Uh, but this morning, like I said, we're going to keep building on this this home stretch theme in the book of Hebrews. And so I was uh, working with Douglas uh, is speaking in, uh, some of you guys know who Douglas is. He's spoken up here. He's been on the worship team. He's speaking in Oakmont this morning. And in uh, some of the brainstorming and thinking that went into this morning's message, we were thinking about technology and how, how many of you in here, and, and this is just, I'm going to test the generational situation in here. Um, so don't be embarrassed to keep your hand down, right? Right. How many of you have played a video game of some kind, even once in your whole life? Raise your hand. You have played a video game. All right. So there are some of you who did not raise your hand, but you are few and far between. So that's really interesting if you think about it. Like there, this room is full of people that have been born or have lived during the era of the video game. Now, there are the very first video games. Now, I'm thinking I'm dating myself here big time. How many of you guys remember the Atari 2600? All right, yeah, like, it's basically just a big box. It was like the console TV version of the video game. And then there was the Nintendo, the first Nintendo that came out. How many of you guys remember that with a trap door that opened on the front of it? The cartridge was like, you know, the size of a frying pan that you put in there, you're blowing it out. When it didn't work, we blew on them. I don't know why. We, there, it had to be dust, right? If the game didn't work, it just had to be because it was dusty. How many guys remember blowing on the... Blowing out like you think about that it's just crazy right and it was universal right it was like blowing on it just like you used to take cds and wipe them real good if they were skipping that would take any scratch out you just rub it on your shirt or you know rub it on your shirt so the atari 2600 uh now compared to today it's crazy now if you don't know what an atari 2600 is if you're younger uh, you need to go look it up because it doesn't resemble at all today's game consoles at all there were i believe two main buttons Maybe not, maybe three. I don't know, but I remember two big silver buttons on the front of that's it on the front of this thing. There was no Wi-Fi. There's just cords going out of it, right? And then you had what they called a joystick with a button and a lever. That's it. 
There weren't buttons for every finger. You know, you didn't hook it up to your brain and think about what you wanted to do. It was just, that was it. So Pac-Man was just moving with a stick and pressing a button with your thumb. That was it. And uh, so, the, but the, there were... Imp- there were two buttons that I remember clearly because I think they were the most, the two most important buttons on the Atari 2600, all right, and on the subsequent Nintendo. There were two big push buttons, right? Those two buttons were what? Does anyone know who the, what those two buttons were? The two silver ones that were the most important on the Atari 2600. What were one of them? Was what? The power button. Okay, it's very important. You have to turn it on. Click. And the power goes on, right? The big lever goes up. It's like, <laughs> there goes the 2600. And there was another button that wasn't, it, it didn't like stay in position. You would flip it. You would like push it. What was that button? What did you say? The reset button. Yes. How many guys, if you played a video game, you have a friend that would get angry at the way it was going and go hit the reset button in the middle of the game. I used to hate that, right? So if you were winning the game or if the game was going poorly, I remember having fights over that. It's like, ah, oh, why'd you reset it? And we're like yelling at each other, you know, because someone would get them running and you couldn't get to them in time. Sometimes it would be a physical battle. The joystick would fall and you'd be trying to restrain your friend from hitting the reset button, right? Um, so if things were going poorly for one of you, go get that, hit that reset button. And Nintendo had the same thing, the reset button. And not only that, if you're playing by yourself and there's no one around and the game is going terribly and you're upset about it, you just hit the reset button. And start over. As many times as you want. You just start over, right? Because there's this, this human desire in us to want to reset, right? When things aren't going well. Wouldn't it be awesome if life had that lever? And, and all games, by the way, have. There isn't a video game that I know of that didn't have a reset button. Now, the only ones that don't have that, I guess, now are the ones you play online and you're networking with other people. You can't, you can't reset that. You're stuck with the consequences. If you get killed or you die or whatever, you have to deal with it and wait for the next game to come. And, and then, and then uh, things got real fun. I don't know who did this and why they did it. But, and I think this is still out there pretty much, too. Do you remember the whole era, and I think we may be at the tail end of it, where to reset any device, you had to be fumbling around the house for a paper clip or a ballpoint pen? Why? Why would you do that, right? Well, you just you know, accidentally bump it. But that's just annoying, right? So you're like fumbling through a desk drawer, and a dusty desk drawer trying to find something to reset your device with, which was a pain in the butt, this, the little tiny reset buttons. But reset buttons are a pretty big deal on technology for multiple reasons. But usually, you can boil the reset button down to something went wrong, right? Something wasn't going well, and we wanted to, to reset the button. How many guys were reset video gamers? Anyone in here? Like you reset over and over. Okay, more. I, I think there are more of you. Just want to admit that that's your, that's your, that's that's your thing. Um, and then of course you know that's a gaming system. And with this Hebrews theme, one of the main metaphors that we've been working with is the running theme. The race theme is found not just in Hebrews. It's it's throughout the New Testament. This race theme. And um, I don't know how many guys are runners or you've ever taken a jog or someone made you run. <laughs> You're part of a sport. Maybe someone made you run. Um, how many guys when you do anything act and maybe it's not just running. Maybe it's other stuff too. How many guys like to have earphones in and be listening to music? Anyone? And, uh, you know, uh, isn't it great that we can do that on tiny devices and not have like a VCR strap to the... To the <laughs> Thank God that, that new technology comes out, right? Because you guys remember the Walkman. You know, and then, you know, way back, you know, there would be people walking on the street carrying these huge boom boxes, you know, on their shoulders to have music, you know, and then the big earphones, which are kind of back, um, but the, the big earphones and the big clunky Walkman, you know, um, the, but now we've got these nice devices. But when you're running uh, and, or you're doing any kind of exercise, usually there comes this point where you're kind of dragging. 
you're starting to hurt. You're starting to be, you're starting to get sick of what you're doing. Uh, you don't want to push the extra mile. You don't want to do the extra thing. And you're starting, to, the freshness is worn off and you're struggling a little bit. Um, there's this concept of a power song. How many of you guys know what that is? The concept of a power song. Um, I remember uh, on my, my Nike Plus app, there was a power song button and you can designate a certain song to be your power song so that when you hit the power song button, you kind of get that little like, you know, fresh boost of energy, a little bit of inspiration, right? If you're struggling in your run or your workout, you hit the power song button. It's the song that you have picked that you know, like gets you all excited and pumped up and like gets you inspired to take that mountain, to run another 10 miles. You hit the power song button. It's kind of like a reset for your run to like give you that fresh energy to keep going. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. We're talking about the concept of almost like Jesus being that reset button. Jesus being with what he did on the cross and the forgiveness that he purchased for us on the cross, he's like that power song, right? And the story of God's people from beginning to end, it kind of gets to this point where things are dragging pretty bad and Jesus comes just at the right time and becomes like the power song for God's people to reset things and take us into the home stretch. He is the, the, the perfect form of everything that the Old Testament looks forward to. So that's what we're going to kind of look at. Now, let me, let me give you a little bit of warning uh, Hebrews 8 and 9. Uh, some of you guys have been sitting in church for a long time and you understand, uh, you'll understand a lot of the terminology that maybe is going on because you've been looking at the Bible for a long time. Some of you that may be newer or younger, there's a lot of um, stuff in Hebrews 8 and 9 that can be a little confusing if you're not really familiar with the Old Testament. So what I'm going to try to do today is we're going to look at some of these scriptures, we're going to talk about them, and I'm hoping that everybody, whether you're really well-educated in the Bible or whether you're kind of new to it and approaching it, I don't want you to be intimidated by this stuff if you're, if you're new to it. So we're going to try to have some big takeaways from Hebrews 8 and 9, but, but let me just tell you right now so that you can read what we're reading with this lens, okay? Today is about forgiveness. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about forgiveness being the reset button in the power song. So everything we read, I want you to interpret it through the lens of forgiveness. So don't get too concerned if you get a little lost with some of the Old Testament stuff here. You have years to explore this and understand it, and you can talk through it. But let's dig in, because the author of Hebrews was writing to people who understood this whole Old Testament, the whole old way of doing things. He was writing to people who understood that. So he was explaining them, uh, Jesus and forgiveness, using this Old Testament thing. So we're going to do our best uh, to dig into this and pull some stuff out that's really going to help us understand Jesus even more. So Hebrews chapter 8 is where we are. And this is the the writer of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote it. Someone really smart and really cool. Hebrews 8, verse 1, okay? So here we go. He says, here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. So he's talking about this concept of a high priest, which is the Old Testament term uh, for the person who represented the people, basically. It was the, the, the main spiritual leader that represented and ministered to the people. So that's the concept that's not too hard to understand there, that Jesus is this awesome, perfect person to represent us and to get uh, spiritual leadership done for us. Verse 2, there he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, which is a, a word for tent or dwelling. Uh, this was the place that the Old Testament Jews would have understand as being like their house of worship, kind of like their church or their cathedral, okay? So the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. So he's saying that there was this earthly place of worship, but there's really, this is just a reflection of something spiritual. 
Okay, everything we do in earthly worship is a reflection of who God is and what he does, and it's a spiritual thing. So we don't focus on the physical, we focus on the spiritual. And so that's what he's highlighting here by talking about this high priest and this tabernacle. He's contrasting the physical and temporary with the eternal. And he's saying that all of the stuff, the religious stuff, has always been meant to point to the spiritual, point to the eternal. So we should never get lost or get focused too much on the earthly religious stuff, we should always be looking to the spiritual in everything. And that's the purpose of religion, is to make us look at the spiritual and help us be focused on that. Hopefully that makes sense. Verse 3, since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. And if you're familiar with Christianity or familiar with the Bible, Jesus made the ultimate offering which was himself on the cross. They spent years and years with this Old Testament, what they called this, the cult system of the Old Testament, the, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, um, going through these, these sacrificial uh, processes to reflect forgiveness, and Jesus becomes the permanent sacrifice to offer himself for us. So verse 4, if he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest, since there already are priests to offer gifts required by the law. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy a shadow of the real one in heaven. So there's where the focus should be on the spiritual. We should be always looking at the eternal. And the people of God in history lost track of this. They got so consumed with the stuff of their religion that they lost track of the spirit of what it was really all about. So Jesus comes on the scene and reminds us what is really important. And if you read a lot of what he said while he was here, he's always kind of waving his hand and going, guys, guys, guys. You're getting focused on the wrong stuff. You need to look over here and be focused on the right stuff. He was trying to refocus them on what it was really all about. So he says, for when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. Verse 6, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant, a far better agreement, a far better contract based on better promises. So forgiveness through Jesus has always been the plan. The Old Testament stuff, religion itself, religious practices, um, all the stuff we do in the name of religion, those forms have always been meant to point to the spiritual. And the ultimate spiritual truth that God has always been leading us to is his son Jesus, who would come and represent us, die for our sins, rise from the dead, and then represent us before God. That is the spiritual truth that all religion points to, and that's that all of, of Christian religion and, and Jewish religion had pointed to. So forgiveness through Jesus has always been the new plan. It's always been the next model. It's always been the thing we were anticipating. You know the commercials that say the next big thing is here? The next big thing is already here. It's here. It's here. Jesus is that. He's the fulfillment of all of, all of these hopes. You know, mankind's hope for a reset button. How we live for kind of like, man, we need a fresh start. We can't get rid of the things of the past. There is this aching and this longing in humanity to fumble around and find the paper clip and stick it in there and reset because we need that reset button in our lives. It's a concept that it's, it's one of the only things that we can't rectify on our own is the reset button in life. And so we're always looking forward to how, how can this happen? How can we have that fresh start? What should I, our power song be? Where does my strength come from to run truly into what is spiritual and eternal? And Jesus, forgiveness through Jesus, is that new plan. And that's what we're all seeking. And one of the things I love about Hebrews 8, 1 through 6, 
is it talks about um, Jesus be we have a high priest, and he talks about how he is now. I love the tense of that. It doesn't say we had a high priest. It doesn't talk about this thing that we're doing in following Jesus as this antiquated old thing that we commemorate and memorialize. Jesus is alive and active right now. As we sit here this morning, Jesus is our high priest. He is alive. He is in heaven. He is representing us. He is on our side. He is rooting for us. He has set an example. He offers us forgiveness today. So following Jesus is a living, breathing thing. And, and there, there aren't religions that, that, that do it like this, right? Um, to have this, this high priest who is active and engaged in our life now. Because I think sometimes it comes across, religion can come across like it's this old dead thing, right? And that we're really just having this big funeral service every time we have church. A memorial service of things long since gone. Big dusty things, you know? And that's not the way it is now. Jesus is living and breathing, ready to speak to us, and he offers that fresh forgiveness, brand new for anyone who seeks it this morning. Whether you've already had it once or twice or three or a million times, or whether it's the first time you've ever heard of this Jesus or really had a desire to engage with him. So Hebrews uh, 8, let's go on, verse 7. We're going to skip through here, so hopefully you don't get too lost here. Hebrews 8, 7 through 13 continues to expound on this. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, basically, and it goes into explain what happens. So, so what happens is, you guys mostly, even if you haven't been a lot of, around a lot of church or read a lot of Bible, there's the Ten Commandments, and, and there's the, the old way of doing things. So Moses has the Ten Commandments, and that represented the Old Covenant. So God said, hey, man, this is how you need to live. This is how people should be living. And the Ten Commandments represented these, these laws or these desires of God that this is how I created you to live and this is how you need to live in order to please me and be healthy with me and be healthy with each other, right? And what happened is, and he goes on to explain this after, after the verse we just read, after verse 8, he says God found fault with the people because this system basically was a big list that just showed them how much they stunk, right? Because they couldn't do it. So here's the list of all the awesome things you should be doing, and, and the, the whole of recorded history in the Old Testament is the people failing over and over and over and over again to do it. So the next verses basically say, hey, everyone, listen up. You know, this has gone wrong. You know, you've not been able to do this plan. It's been a constant failure, and so I'm going to give you a new plan. It's Jeremiah. He's quoting Jeremiah, saying there's a new plan coming. It's not like the old ratty one where I did all the work and you guys just sat around and you just had to do some external things to make yourselves look good. But I have a new plan coming that's going to make this an internal thing. I have a new plan coming that's going to make this a spiritual thing. It's going to cause you to be able to have an actual relationship with me and not just be able to go through these religious motions to show that you want to be right, but, but you're not. Does that make sense? So, so Jesus is the plan for inner purity, a closeness with God that can never be had through performing religious functions and trying to compensate for a list of stuff that we could never do. So Jesus is this new plan that Jeremiah is talking about. Verse 12, uh, these verses are so potent. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. So he's speaking of a time when this, this final forgiveness will come, the final reset button, so we'll never have to hit it again, that, that Jesus is that reset. Verse 13, when God speaks of a, quote, new covenant, it means that he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. Paul writes a ton about this in the New Testament, and Romans talks about how the law was imperfect because all it did was point out how how stupid we are and how selfish we are and how unable we are to do all of this. 
So Jesus comes on the scene, and he makes it possible for us to connect with God in a relational way. And he also sends us the Spirit of God so that inside of us daily we can be crying out to God and living with his power and living with a constant flow of forgiveness and grace that washes over our imperfections and allows us to be in constant communion with God and communication with God. So hopefully, hopefully that makes sense to you. This old system was obsolete. It just pointed to the new one. Just like no one out here, maybe if you're an antique collector, would go looking for an iPhone like original. I don't even know what they called the first one. If there was, it was just the iPhone, I guess. Um, even an iPhone 3 right now would be like, what? Can you even find one of those? Maybe someone here has it like stuck in a drawer. Keep it forever. It might be an antique. No one's going to be looking for that because the new ones have made them obsolete. And it's kind of what Jesus did. He came and he made the old obsolete. So forgiveness through Jesus is not just this repetitive religious thing. Forgiveness through Jesus wipes your slate clean forever. Forever. And only he has the power to do that. So the Bible teaches us that when we come to Jesus in relationship, when we ask him for forgiveness, and we all need this, guys. You know, I meet people who argue about religion I meet people who debate Christianity. I meet people who don't like the word sin. I meet people who don't like to be called sinners. But I've never met anyone that says that they're perfect. I've never met anyone that says that they wish they couldn't come back, go back and do some things over again. So we don't like being called sinners. We don't like admitting that we're sinful. But we'll say to everyone, yeah, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. That's basically what that's saying. You're saying, I'm a sinner. You're saying, I need forgiveness. You're saying, I need grace. You're saying... I need Jesus. I need a reset button. I need my past wiped away so I can live a new way in the future. So all of humanity cries out for this. And Jesus is the answer to that prayer and that cry. So when we come to him, and it's so important to note that because we even struggle with this in modern Christianity and religion. We somehow feel, because of our guilt sometimes, that somehow this doesn't work. Like, did he really forgive me? I was so bad. I've done so many things. I've been so ignorant. I've been so selfish. Can it, and we have to like convince ourselves of this. And what he's saying is, Jesus took care of it on the cross. And when you come to him, and when you ask for forgiveness, he paid the p- penalty, the punishment for our sin. And it is gone forever. No longer will it be counted against you. And you may not get a reset and a restart with the people in your life, but when it comes to God, yes, you do. Some other person may be holding you under their thumb. God is not holding you under his thumb. When you come to Jesus and you are honest about who you are, and you're honest about your sin, and you're honest about your shortcomings, and you're brutally honest about it, and you ask him to forgive you, it is gone. And the spirit is available for us to walk in a new way. And 1 John says that when we fail again, we go back to him with repentance hearts, and, and, and we're, we're humbled, and we say, God, forgive me. I messed up. Help me to be better. This is the power of Jesus and his blood. So uh, let's go on here. Hebrews 9, 1 through 8. Um, this basically, and, and I'll let you kind of browse over this. I'm not going to go into detail with it. Hebrews 9, 1 through 8. You can put it on the screen if we have it. Hebrews 9, 1 through 8, it basically describes the layout of the Old Testament temple. And even the, the writer of Hebrews, even there in um, verse 5, he says, we can't explain all this stuff in detail now. We have a little picture. I don't know if you can see that or not. Basically, that was a, a layout of what the Old Testament worship tabernacle looked like. And everything that was in that tabernacle represented a spiritual truth, all right? But the big thing to note here is that not everyone could go in here. 
not everyone could meet with God. It was just the priests. And ultimately, there was only one priest who could go into the inner room at the very top of the screen where the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence, it was a representation of the presence of God. The presence of God is so pure that the high priest was the only one who could go in there, and he could only go in there once a year, and he had to make atonement for his own sins first because he was a human. And then he could go in there, and he might live, <laughs> maybe, right? If he, if he was, like, cool with God, the, he wouldn't kill him. So then he would go into this place, and, and it was that high priest in that room that would make atonement or get forgiveness for all of the people of Israel once per year. And so the, the big thing, you may look at that and be like, holy smokes, like, I, gosh, I don't even know. Like, that's a lot for me to think about. Study it, read it, take your time doing all of that. But, but here's the, the big thing there that, that comes out of that. Not everybody could go into the presence of God. Not everyone could access God. Why? Because we're sinners. Because we're imperfect. Even sins, it says, even sins of ignorance. Sins committed in ignorance, we're still sin. It doesn't let us off the hook just because we don't mean to, right? We, we do that all the time. Well, I didn't mean to. I didn't know any better. Well, it doesn't matter. The consequences are the same. Whether we meant to or not, sin is sin. Mistakes are mistakes. So in Hebrews 9, 9 through 14, he says, this is an illustration pointing to the present time. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people. They can't get inside. For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. Right? It was unable to get to the inside of who we are, where Jesus went. Verse 11, so Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He's entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which wasn't made by human hands. It's not part of the created world. With his own blood that he shed on the cross, not the blood of goats and calves and animals, he entered the most holy place once for all time. So he's using this terminology of the temple. He came into the presence of God on our behalf once for all time with his own blood, right? Just like the high priest used to do, but, but way better and spiritual and permanent and eternal. And he says he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever, forever, right? So Jesus is the fulfillment of everything, yeah. Verse 13, under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity, right? God said, do this stuff, and it's kind of our place of agreement. It's where we'll meet to kind of agree about you being sinners and, and me being awesome, Verse 14, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds, that last line, so that we can worship the living God. We can't worship in our sin and mistakes. We can't worship while we're arrogant. We can't worship while we're selfish. We cannot worship in a state where we're not admitting who we are, accepting our flaws, and asking God for help and a reset button. So it is the forgiveness of Jesus that allows us to serve. Forgiveness through Jesus frees you to serve. I don't stand up here this morning if there's no forgiveness through Jesus. No one works in the sound booth. No one works in the kids' ministry. We, no one ushers. No one takes offering. No one builds a church. No one speaks of God. No one represents him without forgiveness of sin because we're all broken. We're all guilty. We're all in need. And so I stand here just as much the recipient, maybe even more, the recipient of God's grace and forgiveness than other people. Paul said, I am the worst of sinners. God showed me this huge grace and forgiveness. I'm the worst, but God still used him. So it is through forgiveness that we can actually have a life of significance that glorifies God and fulfills his purpose. That's pretty awesome, right? So if you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, I'm not worth, I can't. 
I can't. I'm not good enough. I have this past. I'm, I'm to this. I'm to that. I've made these mistakes. Not only does forgiveness just wipe your slate clean, not just so you can feel good about yourself. Please don't think that. That Jesus died on the cross just so you could be like, oh, I'm not going to hell. How nice. Now I can go play golf and like hang out and do the stuff I want. Well, you can play golf. That's fine. But there's a reset button in golf. There is. It's called a mulligan, right? You can take a mulligan. Which life had some more mulligans? Jesus is the mulligan. Jesus is mulligan. They should call it a Jesus. No, don't, don't do that. That's like cursing on the golf course. Um, so, so basically, he allows us not just to be free from our sin and free from guilt and condemnation. He wants us to step into service and representing him and building his kingdom and doing something for him and passing this word on to other people. We aren't supposed to just be sitting around enjoying his forgiveness under an umbrella, sipping something, all right? So it frees us to serve. So the last piece here before uh, Josh is going to come up, Hebrews 9, 14 through 23. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship a living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, the Holy Spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Guys, it's all about Jesus. This is it, man. This is the the thing you got to get, that we all have to get. This is the thing we also have to be reminded of. Verse 15. That is why he is the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance that God promised them. There is an inheritance. There's an end to all of this. This forgiveness points to something. It takes us where we are, and it leads us step by step right into the presence of God, because ultimately... The presence of God, we can access him here. Because of Jesus, we can walk into the, quote, holy of holies. We can be in his presence. But here's the deal. The real presence of God. I mean, like, when we're dead. The real presence, because of Jesus, we can stand in his presence then. That's the inheritance, that we will be his children, and we can be with him, that our sin does not keep him, keep us from his presence. So God has promised them, for Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sins they had committed under that first covenant. Verse 22, in fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Verse 23, that is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of the things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals, but the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. It's a spiritual thing, not a physical thing. And Jesus got the job done. So forgiveness through Jesus is free. No offering can buy it for you. No amount of good behavior can purchase it for you. To be in the presence of God, to have a relationship with him, to serve him in his name, we come through Jesus. We admit who we are. We ask for forgiveness, and he cleanses us. Josh, why don't you come on up? And he's going to lead us into, ultimately, what is the the representation that Jesus gave us. You know, to, to remember all of this. And when we talked about the concept of the power song, the power song is something you hit over and over and over and every time you take a run, every time you go on a workout. And that's what kind of what communion is, and that's what Josh is going to talk to us about for a minute as we go into our response time. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.